I'm really excited for this sermon series because it's something that you requested. And you might think, I don't know, I don't remember requesting this. But for those that attend the Wednesday morning Bible read-alongs, we actually read scripture in these Bible studies and we read verse by verse. And it became obvious that there's... um, that the allegorical meaning of numbers was something that people lost sight of. That a number means far more than just you know, what you might count on your fingers when you read scripture. Um, both the Hebrew and the Greek texts are written with such an economy of not only words but even letters that they are supposed to be standing for so many more things that seven is not just seven, it means dramatically more. Um, And so we would explore the allegorical meaning of the numbers, and in fact, in the Gospel of Mark, you can trace Jesus' step um, transversing the Sea of Galilee based upon the number of people that he interacts with, because that's what he's pointing to, the Jewish side and the Gentile side. So everybody was like, this is really, this is cool stuff. We didn't know scripture said these things. So this is in some ways um, by popular demand. Uh, Today is the power of threes and a little story behind how I came up with what we're going to talk about today. My dad very faithfully attends a Presbyterian church in Florida. My parents used to, my dad does it just mostly now, and I've come to know the minister pretty well because he has an extraordinary leadership style and he cares for my parents well, and he's a really great preacher. He brings very profound theological concepts to life through NASCAR, rock and roll, and just plain street smarts. There's nothing highbrow about this guy, but he's brilliant. He is a self-described, he said, you know, Joe, I'm just a redneck. I'm like, yeah, but you are the scholarliest redneck I've ever known. Now, most Sundays, needless to say, my dad's pretty animated about the worship service and the sermon that he's just heard. But this past year on Trinity Sunday, he said, you know, honey, I was with the pastor in coffee hour, and we both kind of laughed that he spent 15 minutes talking about the doctrine of the Trinity of God, three and one, and one and three, and I don't even think he knew what he was talking about or why it mattered. So uh, since the early centuries of the Christian church, the primary way we come to know the conception of God is in a threefold through God, the creator, Jesus, the Redeemer, the Holy Spirit, our Sustainer, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It distinguishes Christianity from the other three monotheistic faiths. And this is a central mystery that we proclaim about God. It's a wonderful mystery, but it's what theologian Claude Welch claims is the most difficult to state. Now, last week it might not have been obvious, but Bill really complained that writing a sermon on monotheism was, in his mind, very difficult. So with all of this as background, there is no way I am preaching on the doctrine of the Trinity in the summer of August. But there is quite a lot for us to say when it comes to the power of threes. There is a power of three of God present always in our lives and transforming our lives, and it's throughout scripture and in our faith tradition. One of the earliest stories of God's presence is from the first book in uh, the Bible, Genesis, in which God pays a visit to the elderly Abraham and Sarah. And before I read this really great story, please pray with me. Oh God, the three in one, you draw us into a community of love with people across the ages and around the world. By the same spirit that binds us together, speak to us that what we read and ponder may enliven us and stretch us to trust and to follow you. We pray this in the name of Christ, who is our Savior. 
Amen. This is a story from the 18th chapter of Genesis. Listen for God's word. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Marmi as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and he bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring you a little bread that you might refresh yourself and after that you may pass on since you have come to see your servant. They said, do as you've said. And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah and said, make quickly three measures of choice flour and knead it and make cake. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and milk and the calf that he'd prepared and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where's your wife, Sarah? And Abraham said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and it had ceased to be with Sarah in the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied, saying, I I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And the Lord said, oh, yes, you did laugh. Here ends our reading. Now, this is not the first time God has visited Abraham. Earlier in the book of Genesis, God spoke to Abraham promised him descendants as numerous as the stars sparkling in the sky or grains of sand glistening in the desert. Even in advanced age, Abraham received a promise and was told to leave his homeland and to set out for a new country to receive this blessing. And then God blessed Abraham and he told Abraham that he was to live his life as a blessing for others. At that encounter, it was God just speaking. Now it's three men who appear as the one Lord. Now, despite the uncertainty of who these three strangers are, Abraham offers the most time-honored virtue, hospitality. In a nomadic culture, hospitality was more than a gracious welcome. In the harsh conditions of the desert that could take human life in days or maybe even a matter of hours, hospitality is what sustains life. And this is how God wants us to continue to treat the strangers in our lives. A little bread and water turns into a feast of choice veal, curds, and cake. Abraham brings his very best to God, inspiring an ideal that is echoed in the New Testament writings, particularly from the book of Hebrews that says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. You see, Abraham rises to be the exemplar of faithfulness in all three monotheistic traditions for his unwavering devotion to God. Abraham affirms time and time again 
his willingness to open his life to God, to be transformed, and then to bless others. Sarah is just the opposite. The story tells us she's afraid, she hides. Now you have to wonder, was she angry at being uprooted by Abraham when God promised him a blessing but not her? God has really disrupted her life once already. Did she feel neglected because she was barren while at the same time God was going to shower her husband with a legacy? So when Sarah hears God promise her a son, she laughs. Was it cynicism? Was she skeptical? Or was it shame? Sarah is showing just how vulnerable she feels. It's as if her laugh were a release valve for her soul. She had to respond. Now, when another person's conversation trapes into our deepest longings or fears, we may cry as easily as laugh. And it's this tender spot that's become the purview of comedians. They name our embarrassments and our fears as they dive into what others might say is, oh, impolite, we don't talk about that, or we just wouldn't risk speaking about certain things. But that's where comedians linger, letting us either laugh at ourselves or inviting others to laugh at what we know is true about ourselves and others. But in this vulnerable spot, God is not looking to mock Sarah. God steps into that hurting place to let her know that nothing is beyond God. In that place of being vulnerable, God is beginning to do God's redemptive work. So God challenges her. Is anything, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Years ago, as a chaplain, I recall a bedside conversation with a grace-filled man who was in his mid-90s, and he knew that he would not live to see another Christmas. As he described his faith, he loved, he loved the communion table. For him, it was a place to meet Jesus, and Jesus would take him just as he was, and Jesus would bless him. He had a very visceral experience of tasting the cup and eating the bread, and he said, you know, when I get to do that, it's, it's like I get a restart. He kept saying it's a restart with God. For him, God is a very loving God, and it was evident from such grace to accept him and send him out time and time again to be what God created despite any of his shortcomings. And he continued, out of such love, God would also, I quote him, you know, sometimes God would just give me that little swat I needed because sometimes love comes as discipline and calling it exactly as it is, and that's kind of what I needed sometimes to get back on the right track. Now, I know that there are many people whose lives have been shadowed, if not destroyed, by this notion that God is always up there looking down, constantly judging in disapproval or doling out punishment. And to that, I can only lament, oh, how we have corrupted the goodness of faith for those people. And for those damaged souls, fear and hiding might just be for their self-protection. But then on the other hand, there are some people who have become used to this idea of God is just a benign in the background, almost like wallpaper, whose dominion is outside of the grit of life. So the idea that God might actually get into our lives might be a relief. It means that God is in the thick and thin of the trials that we bear. 
And that is what my wise friend believed to be true about God. God's presence means a loving creator and sustainer is in your life. And God also is there as the one who judges to redeem what ills you may have done. That's the God who appeared to Sarah. God was intimate, literally in her face, naming her shame and offering her her greatest dream. When Sarah denied her laughter, God wouldn't let it slide. Oh, yes, you did laugh. And despite her skepticism, God also fulfilled God's promise by placing the future of the nation of Israel in her womb. Isaac was born just as promised. We all have lots of judges in our lives, including ourselves, and sometimes we are our harshest critics and rarely are those other judges vested in our lives' goodness. So perhaps we should welcome the idea of a loving God as a judge. A loving God may need to set us straight before God blesses us, but God always wants to bless us with a future beyond our imagination. Now the sermon's about the power of threes, so we had Abraham, Sarah, and now it's our third character. And the third character in this story is God. It's not evident in our English translations, but the Hebrew use of plurals and singular pronouns and nouns suggests a mystery. There are three men that are seen, but there's one God present. Now, 15th century artist Andrei Rublev interpreted the three visitors into what has become an iconic image. You can find it on mouse pads and iPhone covers, and it's on your front bulletin. In Genesis and throughout scripture, God visits human beings in the form of messengers or angels or some other mystery, and often in threes. Genesis, Exodus, the prophets, our gospels, it's a lot of threes going on. And when you look at a three, you wonder what's going on in that person's life or how is God's presence being expressed. When Moses asks God at the burning bush for God's name, Moses is given a threefold response. I am, I am who I am, and I am who I will be. When God calls the boy Samuel to serve as the prophet and to bring rise to the nation of Israel, it takes three times for God to call Samuel before Samuel understands this is God, and then he speaks. Speak, your servant is listening. Last year, there was a very tough movie that swept the awards ceremonies. It was three billboards outside of Ebing, Missouri. It's based on a true story of a woman played by Frances McDormand who is distraught over the unsolved murder of her daughter. She pays for three billboards on a road outside of town. The first, raped while dying, still no arrests, how come Chief Willoughby? These three billboards upset the entire town because they call out the beloved chief of police for what he hasn't done and it exposes the truth, her daughter's murderer has not been found. I mentioned this is a tough movie with fierce rage and violence, but throughout the intense conflict, hope continues to peek out. I'm amazed at how there's hope in this tough movie. I won't give you too many spoiler alerts, or I won't, give, I won't spoil the movie, let's put it that way. But the billboards at one time are destroyed by a violent fire 
and the day in which they're restored is a day of resurrection. The truth is pursued rather than buried. Arch enemies find common ground, and time and time again, when the worst is expected, hope turns their lives into a future they never imagined. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the defining question for Sarah, and it's also the most vital question that we face today in the agonizing problems of our lives. In the past, in ordinary lives, God appeared transforming people from barren to fertile, from narrow to expansive lives, and on the third day of Jesus' death, God alters an irreparable darkness into new life. The repetition of the power of threes reminds us God is present in human history and always creating new futures. You see, God is never an abstract quality. An abstract quality does not get involved in messy lives, nor can an abstract quality dry our tears or forgive us. Please pray with me now. God, for you, time is eternal. For us, we have a threefold experience. We praise you for your work in the past. We ask you to startle us with your presence now and always assure us that our future is in your hands. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.